This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends. Well, today I'll talk about love and unity. I'll focus mostly on unity, the importance, the strength, and the fruitfulness of unity. A few years ago, I visited a church, and the members of this church are known to always be reading the most recent book, uh, whatever has come out. Sometimes it can strike me as almost being like a fad. There are these Christian books that grab the Christian community, and then they fade after a little while. Anyway, I went to this church, and one of the members came up to me, and sort of breathlessly, she said to me, what book are you reading? And I said, Colossians. She said, no, 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 no. What what book are you reading? Well, for a while there, I was really into Colossians quite a bit. And I love the book of Colossians. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And it was a church that he had never met. He'd never been there. And he shared his love with them, encouraging them and expressing his desires for them as a church. Now, Colossae was one of three churches that are all in the same valley. I visited there uh, quite a few years ago now. There was Colossae, Laodicea, some people would say Laodicea, and Hierapolis. There are three churches all together in the same valley, pretty close to each other. And I have had a similar experience with three churches in Romania, near Sigishwara. There are three churches, Sward, Elisini, and Sekuin, Three little fellowships that often visit with one another and share meetings. And I think that was happening also in Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And I want to focus on one thing that Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, and this will be the launching point for this discussion about love and unity. And in Colossians 2, Paul says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's purpose was for these churches to be encouraged in heart and united in love. And this is my hope when I share what the Lord has put on my heart to encourage followers of Jesus and to help unite them in love. I believe this is God's intention for us, all of us who are followers of Jesus, his church. In a later talk, I will discuss the relationship between love and evangelism. And I want first to talk about love and unity among believers, uh, the necessity of unity for the people of God. And this talk will be in two parts. Today will be part one. Part two will follow later. Love and unity are two of the greatest spiritual powers in the kingdom of heaven. The devil never destroyed a church from the outside. Churches don't collapse because of outside pressure. Churches fall when they are damaged from the inside, when brothers and sisters are divided against one another, turned against one another. Outward challenges strengthen the church. Inward divisions weaken it. In Titus chapter 3, Paul says, Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him, 
you may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. That's what Paul says about it. How often is that advice followed in churches, I must say? To warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time and after that have nothing to do with him. That's really something. Unity among brothers assumes that each individual is abiding in Christ, that Christ is the head and that we are all on the way together. That's my assumption as I speak with you. Loving God and living with him is the highest priority. And unity among us is one of God's highest priorities for us as members of his body. Why are love and unity so important in the church? Well, because the church is the body of Christ, and each of us are members of that body. God is one. He is unity. He's united. He's three in one. And we see this actually in the very first sentence of the scriptures. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first sentence of Genesis. It's interesting when you look at the original language. It says, in the beginning, God's, plural, created, singular, the heavens and the earth. Elohim is the plural for God's. So we see at the very beginning, God is giving us an insight into his character, that he is plural and singular. He is unified perfectly, and he wants that for us. A man asked Jesus one time, what is the greatest commandment? We find this in Mark chapter 12, and I'll just read it to you. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Those are the words of Jesus. Here we see Jesus referring to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that is known as the Shema. And here are the words again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Shema is the first word here, and that means listen. Hey, it's calling out to people. Listen to this. This is important. Shema. God is one. And this was in contrast to other religions at the time. There were multiple gods and it also contrasts with many religions today. God is one. He has unity. He has integrity. Uh, that word integrity, we also have the word integer, which is a whole number. It's complete. God is one. He has integrity. He is wholly complete. And we are to love God. He is complete, and we are to love him. I'd also like us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, something God says to his people, the nation of Israel. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers, the ones he brought out with a mighty hand and redeemed from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him 
and keep his commandments. God's motivation is always love. He is love. So the greatest command is to love him. He has loved us, and so we are called to love him. The second commandment is to love others. Jesus said the second command is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'll briefly say uh, something about this. It's a little bit of a sidetrack, but bear with me if you will. I'm sure I'll return to this theme later. Jesus commands us to love others as we love ourselves. We all love ourselves. We want to be happy. We want to have a good family. We want to be well-fed. We want ourselves to be content. I think that often when someone says they hate themselves, they really mean that they hate their life. They love themselves. They don't want to be hurting. They want to be free from pain. So they love themselves enough that they really want their life to be better. They hate the circumstances of their life. When I was a teenager, for a very brief time, I thought about suicide. And as I've reflected back, now years later, I see that that inclination came from self-love, though at the time I certainly did not see it that way. If I had really hated myself, I would have wanted the pain to continue. But I loved myself so much that I wanted the pain to stop. I didn't like who I was, but I loved myself so much that I wanted to be different, and yet I saw no way out. Praise God that he gives us a way out of that trap. So that's my little aside about self-love. In the future, I'll talk about it some more. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, All men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. It's so important for us to love one another and have unity with one another. As a matter of fact, this is a part of evangelism. People will look at us and know that we are following Jesus because we love one another. Jesus prays that we will be one in John chapter 17. So I'll read from that, verses 20 through 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. And that's us, those who are listening to me speak right now. Jesus' prayer in verse 21 continues, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave to me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That is a very rich scripture. But let's look at verse 23. Jesus says, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus wants us to be unified as a witness to the world, a witness that Jesus was sent by the Father and that Jesus loves them. Our unity is an expression of who Christ is and the relationship between Christ and the Father. People will know that we are followers of Jesus by our love for one another. People will know that the Father sent the Son by our unity with one another. And that's why this is a part of evangelism. People seeing the reality of God, his love and his unity and the peace that comes in unity. In this world, 
by looking at his followers, witnesses of his love and unity. And I'll also say that unity has a lot of strength associated with it. And I'll talk about that a bit later. In Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3, we read, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, this has been a foundational scripture for my marriage with Olga. Before we got married, someone shared this with me, that any time we begin to argue or have a disagreement, we can say to each other, Ephesians 4, 2, and 3, as a reminder that God wants us in our marriage to be completely humble and gentle, to be patient, bearing with one another in love. If you're married or soon to be married or know someone who is married, share this with them. If we as married couples can make these efforts, then there's so much peace there. The unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is one of the places where the Bible tells us to make every effort. The Greek word there, and I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but the Greek word that is translated as make every effort means to be diligent to do something, to be speedy, to be eager. We see it also in Hebrews chapter 4 to make every effort to enter into the Sabbath rest of God. Now, we can have spiritual unity, as it says here in Ephesians 4, and then later it says that God has given the church people to help us grow up into the unity of the faith. So I make a distinction that we can have spiritual unity with someone, but not yet have complete doctrinal unity. That we can have spiritual unity and grow up into a unity of the faith. As people mature or have different understandings, we can share those things, but we can still have spiritual unity early on in the relationship. I also want to say that we may not have clarity in some things, but we can always have unity. And this is real important for me. There are a lot of times when I'm trying to discern what God's will is, and I'm in that process with other people, and we realize that we don't have clarity about how it's going to work out or how things are going to be, or what we should do. We don't yet have clarity, but we're all in the same place in that process, and we can be unified in that spot. We can have unity, but not clarity. I encourage you, value unity above clarity. And I'll talk a little bit later about why unity is actually more important than clarity. Well, how does one fight for unity? What does it take? Often, it takes a death to self. Mutual submission. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. As we walk in love and unity, there are going to be many, many opportunities for us to lay our lives down. As a matter of fact, it'll be necessary for us to lay our lives down, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'll also say that often unity is more important than being right. Because we are all fallen people, and we can be wrong about things. Even our deepest convictions may not be shared by others in our fellowship. Or we're at different places in our walk with the Lord. We have little different understandings about things. And we surely have blind spots where others can see what we cannot. And others around us, the people that God has set us with, they have the Spirit of God. So fighting for unity is very important. And sometimes unity is more important than being right or getting your own way. 
There have been a few times where I've done that in ministry, where I am quite sure that I know exactly what we ought to do, and yet the people with whom I'm in ministry would disagree or see it differently, and I've got to submit. I've got to hold back and wait, because unity is more important than being right. Many times that's the case. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Has the Lord set you in a relationship? Then you can submit to that person. This has been probably a key understanding for me over the past 20 years, that as God sets us together in relationship, and I know that God has put me in relationship with these other people, then I can submit to them out of my reverence for what Christ is doing. It is so important to know that we are where the Lord wants us. I'll talk about that in part two, how it is that we can understand where the Lord has set us in his body. But for now, it's enough to say, if you are in a relationship that you know God has put you in, then you can freely submit to that other person out of reverence for Christ. Be filled with the Spirit, making melody to the Lord in your heart, always giving thanks for everything to God in the name of Jesus and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, I'll close with an example of how we can fight for unity Quite a few years ago in Austin, Texas, I was talking to some friends of mine who for many years had been leading a married couples class, a Bible study. And if I remember correctly, it was a 16-week marriage class, perhaps six couples in each class, and it had been going on for 10 years, over 10 years. So that's about 60 couples that had taken this marriage course. And I was talking to the leaders, and they said in all that time, there was only one couple that had never had an argument in the class. All the other couples at some point in this class would have a a fight with one another. I don't know if it got to the point of raising their voices, but they were actually fighting with one another. And my friends asked this couple, how is it that you went through this whole class and you never actually had an argument? What they said is that when they begin to feel like there's an argument, a conflict coming up, they will try to turn shoulder to shoulder instead of butting heads. They would just do that in their minds, of course. If there's a fight coming, if there's a conflict coming, they would try to turn shoulder to shoulder. This understanding has been very, very helpful for me and my wife. Of course, we have our disagreements, and yet in the Lord's sight, we are one. It is possible to disagree, to see things differently, and at the same time, refuse to fight against one another. I employ this principle very often when I get into situations where there is contention or disagreement. If I'm talking to a brother or sister in the Lord, we are members of God's body. We should not be fighting each other and knocking heads and trying to dominate. We should come shoulder to shoulder and work out our differences, trying to move in the same direction, trying to pull together instead of fighting against one another. This is a very real way that I make an effort for unity. The other person may not do that, but I will, because I want to be obedient to what God is revealing to me. Okay, well, I think that's probably enough for now. Next time, I'll continue to look at the value and the necessity of the fight for unity.
And in all of this, we want to hear the heart of God, and we want the heart of God to be in us. We shouldn't fight for unity because it's good for us. We should fight for unity because that is the will of God. We should fight for unity because it's good for others. Let's always try to turn the blessing away from ourselves and try to be obedient and bless others. I will say that, of course, there are times when unity cannot be maintained. Romans 12 tells us, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There are times when others refuse to fight for unity, or they set themselves up as our enemies. Or we may have a very serious disagreement on the basics of the faith. In those cases, then we may not be able to have unity. However, our part is to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the next talk, I'll continue the discussion about unity and the power of unity, and I'll have a few more examples of how it's lived out. Until next time, I pray that the Lord will continue to reveal His will and His word to you. His ways are good. His pathways bring peace to the soul. Amen. Jesus said to His disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.